Welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode number 69 of the podcast. And today, we're going to react to the San Francisco 49ers 2022 wildcard victory over the Dallas Cowboys, including Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell running wild over Dallas's defense. Jimmy Garoppolo trying to give the game up in the second half, and Demeco Ryan's turning America's team into America's disaster. And before we get into the game itself and the wild events that unfolded, especially in that second half, we have to do one of two things. First, give credit to our sponsor for today's show. That is SeatGeek. If you want to go to this Niners Green Bay Packers game on Saturday at Lambeau Field, use promo code 49ERSACCESS, all caps, 49ERSACCESS, to get $20 off your first purchase. And save 20 bucks while you see our Niners face off against the Green Bay Packers in the divisional round of the playoffs. But the actual real thing we have to get to first regarding the team itself, that is the injury report following the victory versus Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. And it goes just like this. The lesser injuries that maybe don't have a big impact are Talanoa Hufanga, his knee injury is still relevant. He's going to be day-to-day and may have a chance to play on Saturday. Marcel Harris, the same thing. An Achilles injury day-to-day may have a chance to play against Green Bay. But the big injuries, we all felt the impact of initially. Uh, let's start with Fred Warner. Uh, initially, I think you along with everybody else in the Niner Faithful, uh, I know I was, I was saying, oh God, please do not let that be an ACL it gave me Devaro Bowman in Seattle flashbacks of just like, oh my goodness, linebacker, torn ACL, MCL, he's done for a year. And I think the worst came to everybody's mind when you saw Warner down. It was a non-contact injury, and I think that freaked everybody out. It, it, it freaked Warner out. Like, it freaked Warner out so much that he was on the ground you know, yelling and screaming and holding his knee. And thankfully, it was only an ankle injury. So, big sigh of relief there. Uh, He will be limited this week in practice and is expected to play on Saturday against Green Bay. He was walking around on the sideline during the game with the with the uh, the second string guys, uh, the subs. He he definitely wanted to get back in the game, but I think San Francisco had that game or at least felt like they had that game in the bag and didn't want to risk Warner uh, further injuring himself, knowing they were likely going to go to Green Bay on Saturday. The other one is Nick Bosa. He is less likely to play on Saturday, but he'll be reevaluated as he has a concussion, leaving his status for Saturday's game against Green Bay up in the air. Again, I would assume he will likely play, but concussions can be tricky. Uh, it just depends on how he feels. Uh, but throughout the week, we'll, we'll get updates for him. And of course, that's when you follow us on social media, uh, where you can see the updates. But the one that I think no one saw coming, the injury that no one heard about, and I think... By now, after the Titans game, we know we're not going to hear about injuries from this player, and that is Jimmy Garoppolo. Apparently, uh, somewhere along the lines, in the midst of the game, it happened in the first half, I guess, he sprained his right shoulder. So he sprained his throwing shoulder and will be limited throughout the week, but he will still play. So uh, Jimmy is patching himself together week by week to play this game. Uh, if you're a child's player, Chucky fan, Uh, He is the stitched-together Chucky doll (laughs) on Sunday and Saturdays trying to play playoff games. Um, But that's the injury report. And I have to give credit before we get into, you know, 
Dak Prescott and the Cowboys offense and the Niners offense, all the good stuff you came here for. Uh, I want to give two shout-outs. The first one, that being Robbie Gold. Uh, Robbie Gold has been been much maligned at times in his tenure in San Francisco. Missed some time in 2019, missed some kicks. Not in big moments, but did miss some kicks like against the Bears. Uh, he did go 3-for-3 three three on field goals on Sunday against Dallas. He had a 53-yarder, uh, and he does have his postseason field goal total. He's 18-for-18, 18 18%, 18%, 100% in the postseason. Uh, Robbie good as gold lived up to his nickname on Sunday against the Cowboys, so kudos to Robbie. Punted. He was punting uh, two weeks ago against the Rams. It just a really good two weeks for Robbie Gold. He was the NFC Special Teams Player of the Week in Week 18, so Robbie Gold the last two weeks has earned that massive paycheck he's getting. And the other guy is the player that returned from injury uh, against the Dallas Cowboys. He had an elbow injury. Uh, he's been the best-rated player, the best-graded player in the entire league per PFF, and that is Trent Williams. It took Trent Williams, and this is going to blow your mind. It, it blew mine. It took Trent Williams 9,559 snaps before he got to the playoffs, before he won his first playoff game. 9,000. 559 snaps. If I could clap and it not clip my mic, uh, Trent Williams deserve a, a round of applause. Uh, congratulations to him uh, battling through the elbow injury. It, who knows the, the severity of it, but it's it was bad enough last week to keep him out against the Rams. Came back this week, uh, played a pretty good game, I will say. Um, but 9,000, over 9,500 snaps. Congrats to Trent Williams. It was great stuff. There's a photo... I'm not sure if the Niners posted it, but there's a photo of him walking off the field, smiling, pointing at Cowboys fans, and they're giving him the bird, and it's just a classic, like, that's awesome. Like, Trent is finally getting the moment he deserves. The opposing team's fan base hates a guy because he just won his first playoff game, and they went into, you know, into Jerry World and got the win. And just, just awesome for Trent. Uh, but I want to stick with the meaning of this game. Uh, the meaning of this game to me, and, and I'll admit to you, I'm I'm 25 years old. I never got to witness the Niners-Cowboy rivalry in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, and even when it leaked into the early 2000s, it really hasn't meant much to me. Uh, I was alive when T.O. ran on the field with a star, but I, I was too young to go like, that's a moment in my life I'll never forget. Now I know that moment, uh, and I know when T.O. was in you went to Dallas and you know, get your popcorn ready. You like, I understand there was always a rivalry there, but for my age group, for you know, my my age, my my twenty five years of living, the Cowboys have been like, oh, the Dallas Cowboys, okay. Like, it's never meant much to me. I know every time we play them, it's a big deal, simply because there's history there. But this Sunday to me was my first taste of this Niners. Cowboy rivalry, and I loved every bit of it. Uh, you know, Troy Aikman was saying during the Buccaneers Eagles game, like, I wish I was calling that game. Uh, Tony Romo was being a homer on the CBS broadcast. You can tell this meant something to those guys, and you can tell it meant something to the Niners players who, again, haven't been a part of that rivalry. Like, like let's be honest here, even players we love of the late, you know, 
over this past generation, you know, Joe Staley, you know, Frank Gore, Vernon Davis, uh, this rivalry really hasn't meant anything to them either. It, it really has been a long time, a really long time. And in fact, this was the first time since 1994, the, the 1994 NFC Championship game is the last time these teams played in the playoffs together against each other. It's just crazy how long it's been, and really just, it was like the first time after seeing, and I have not had a high school reunion yet, <laughs> but I, I'm assuming, and hopefully you put the bitter past behind you, but it's like the first time you see maybe your high school rival or, or, or your, your, your high school bully for the first time, and all those memories that you hated came back to you. Uh, for, I don't have those memories, but I'm I'm sure for certain people it was like, oh yeah, that's why I hate you. <laughs> that that's why we hate the Cowboys. Um, and of course, you know Jerry Jones is going on the radio before the game. You know Roger Goodell, he'll he's in he's in Dallas, making sure all the calls go right for us. And that was an awful Jerry Jones impersonation. But like this game really meant something to both teams involved and. The Niners trying to stay alive and just you know, put together what seemed like an awful year, but have found themselves late in the year to make a push. And the Cowboys, who won the NFC East, put up you know a fifty burger against the Eagles at the end of the year and were seemingly riding hot. They got Dak, they got Lamb, they got Cooper, they got Zeke, they got Micah Parsons, who's going to be the defensive rookie of the year. Like this was. Just a match made in heaven for CBS and the NFL. Rivalry week with stars all over the field. And thankfully, coming into this game, San Francisco had not gone one and done in the playoffs in 20 years. 20 years. So, what is that, 2002? Like, the last time they went one and done was when they lost the... NFC wildcard to the Packers at Lambeau Field. And thankfully, it's 21 years now. San Francisco has not gone one and done in the playoffs in 21 years following their victory against the Dallas Cowboys. And so let's dive into this game. Let's dive into, you know, what was the talk before the game? What did we talk about before the game? And what happened after the game? What what transpired during the game? And what was the outcome? So coming into this game, a lot of the talk was again Cowboys. They got Dak. They got they got Zeke. They got Cooper. They got Lamb. They got Parsons. They got Trevon Diggs. They got stars everywhere. And one of the biggest stats flashing all over the screen was the Cowboys are the first team in NFL history to have a four thousand yard passer, a one thousand yard rusher, a one thousand yard receiver, and a player with ten plus sacks and a player with ten plus interceptions. Again, stars everywhere. And myself and you listening, we we discussed that this is a high-powered offense. This is a team that has stars all over the field, and I guess you can say no pun intended due to their logo, but this was a team, the Cowboys, that they felt confident going into the game, just in regards to the players themselves, the, the coaching staff. Now, you can ask their fans who are trying to keep out Niner fans all day, trying not to sell tickets to us, and the faithful travel extremely well, <laughs> and they showed up on Sunday. But knowing the Cowboys have one of the most, and arguably the most explosive offense 
in the league, knowing their offense was fourth in the NFL with 63 receptions of 20-plus yards, it was going to be a battle, especially for our defense, especially for our secondary. You know, San Francisco came in uh, with a DVOA on defense of defending deep passes, so passes over 20-plus yards. In other words, they stink. They were the the third-ranked team, the third-worst team against the ball, the, the deep passes in the league, and that was a big worry of mine, knowing they had Dak Prescott, who can sling it. And Dak coming into this game, uh, I, I, I read you the stats, and I said, look, he's really good against the NFC East. It, it, it pays to play the, the Joe Judge Giants two years, uh, t- two games a year, and the Jalen Hurts Eagles, and, and even the Washington football team. And despite maybe some of those teams being able to squeak into the playoffs here and there, the Cowboys have somewhat run that division for at least the last few years, and Dak has taken advantage of that, playing in a bad division. Came in 25-6 and against the NFC East. Everybody else, he came in 28-26. and Now, you can say he's 28-27 after the loss, but, but Dak came in having a phenomenal year. Phenomenal year, at least based off the stats. He was... You know, he was one of two quarterbacks, the other being Aaron Rodgers, who San Francisco will play this Saturday. But he was one of two quarterbacks who had 4,000-plus passing yards, 35 touchdowns, and 10 or fewer interceptions. Like, Prescott was having a phenomenal year simply based off stats. And, but that's when I dove into the differences. Just like Matthew Stafford, who, again, having a really good year, Matthew Stafford had struggled of late when San Francisco played them in week 18. And the same went for Dak Prescott. And it's kind of weird how these two games coincided because while they weren't very similar games in regards to the outcome and how they were played, the quarterback play was very similar. Uh, While Matthew Stafford had a really good first half against San Francisco, you can see that there were glimpses of, you know, you're kind kind of waiting for like, where's the real Matthew Stafford? And while Dak didn't have a bad game by any means, he had one pick and K-Wall made a good play on that ball, he just wasn't the Dak we saw weeks 1 through 8, 1 through 9. You know, I told you weeks 1 through 8, you know, he's 5-1, and one. he did miss one game in there, which is why there is one less game on his record, but he's 5-1, and one, a 73 comp percentage, over 302 yards per game, almost averaging 3 touchdowns, and a turnover rate of 1.2. Well, who was he on Sunday? Well, it aligned much more with who he has been weeks 9 through week 17. In weeks 9 through week 17, a 65 comp percentage. What did he have on Sunday? Well, he was 23 for 43. Right about that range. About 64% if my mental math is correct. Might be a percentage off. But yards per game, 260 per game. What do you have on Sunday? 254 per game. He was averaging about roughly two touchdowns, 1.8 touchdowns per game. What do you have against San Francisco? He had two touchdowns per game. He was sacked now 2.2 times from weeks 9 to 17, and we'll get this a little later, but he was sacked five times on Sunday. <laughs> and and a lot of this, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but this is one of the things I was talking about with you guys and discussing and trying to kind of open the envelope as to the Dallas Cowboys offense really isn't that good. That they have stars, but recently they have not been playing consistently. And when you're playing bad teams like the Eagles, who got manhandled by the Buccaneers, 
teams like New York, teams like Washington twice to end your year, like your your stats and your wins are going to be inflated and might not tell the entire picture. Because Dak on Sunday, he had one pick, he had a QBR of 27.1, 27.1 and was sacked five times. And again, Dak was not great. And, and this is kind of where I want to get into Demeco Ryan's and how phenomenal of a game plan he came in with. Because San Francisco came in on Sunday knowing they had to play this explosive offense. The number one scoring offense in football was the Dallas Cowboys coming into Sunday, led by Dak Prescott. So what did Demeco Ryan's do? The Niners played zone coverage 82% of the time on Sunday. It was the highest rate Dak Prescott has faced in a game in his career. His QBR, 23 a 23 QBR, 27 per ESPN, 23 per next-gen stats of the NFL, and his yards per dropback, 4.5, were his second lowest of the season. And his 53 completion rate was his lowest of the year per next-gen stats. It answers my question. My mental math was completely off. It was way worse than I thought it was in my head. But I think you see my point. Dak... Dak's height on Sunday was borderline maybe as good as he's been from weeks 9 to 17, which is an okay quarterback, a quarterback that can win you games, but his lows were far worse. Dak had one of his worst games ever, ever. Like, that cannot be, just, you know, oh, in a bad game. No, no, Dak had a, one of his worst games ever. Dak was bad on Sunday, and credit goes to Demeco Ryan's, Ambry Thomas, Emmanuel Mosley, who missed a few tackles early, but got back in in, in the groove and played great coverage against CeeDee Lamb. Uh, Jaquiski Tart and Jimmy Ward were phenomenal on Sunday. They allowed no catches, no yards, just a great game. Now, Ward did drop two picks, which those need to be caught. Those need to be caught. Uh, you, especially this week against the Packers, you got to get turnovers. And you got to capitalize. Like, the Niners should have had three picks, maybe two in that game if you want to kind of say one of those was was a tough play. But when you're running and two of your DBs are running for a football and Jimmy Ward kind of leans back and looks at the other defender like, are you going to catch this and then drops it? You can't do that, right? Like, you got to capitalize on these picks. But other than that, which are things you have to capitalize on, other than that stuff, just a great job by the Niners defense in this game. Again, they they held Dak, who had been having a really good year. Again, he was having a season, well, not on par, but a season very close to Aaron Rodgers. He was in the category with Aaron Rodgers. I'm not saying he's as good as Rodgers is, because he's not. But, again, one of two quarterbacks, him and Rodgers, quarterbacks that had 4,000 4, plus yards, 35 touchdowns, and 10 fewer picks. Great job, Demeco Ryans. But a lot of Dak's issues came from the offensive line struggling. And we talked about this. I talked about how, look, like, Dallas may have all these stats. Tyrone Smith may rank second amongst tackles with a 2.39 pressure rate. Connor Williams may have a 2.2 pressure rate, and it may be third against guards. But since week nine, since Dak came back from injury... This team has allowed 113 pressures. That's awful. Like, 
for all the talk of, you know, again, they got Tyrone Smith, they got Connor Williams, they got, you know, they got Collins playing, like, like all the talk of how good this offensive line is, they didn't show up, and they really haven't shown up, what, for like nine weeks, nine-ish weeks, and San Francisco, <laughs> they had their best game of the season, best game of the season against what was supposed to be a really good offensive line. They totaled 31 pressures, 31 pressures in five sacks. And I'm going to go up, for, I guess we'll be from ascending order in sacks, but I, or pressures, excuse me. But I want to talk about a few players here. Uh, Contavia Street had one pressure. Kevin Gibbons had two pressures. Nick Bosa, prior to getting hurt, um, he had two pressures and half a sack. He was having a really good game. He was in. Um, some of our top performers, like had he played the second half, he probably would have had two sacks and, and, and about five or six pressures. Um, but a couple other guys, Jordan Willis, who got hurt as well, three pressures. DJ Jones had three pressures and, a, and half a sack. A great performance by him. Again, he has been phenomenal. Got to re-sign that guy. Orton Key had three pressures. But here are the three players I, I really do want to talk about here. And the first one is Samson Ebukam. And... I think like many of you, and, and I said this before on the podcast, that he struggled early. He looked like a waste of money, a bust. And while it wasn't like he you know, jumped off the page against Chicago, you could tell that was kind of the, the, the starting point as to where he started to find his footing uh, with this team in this defensive scheme on our defensive line. And really ever since then, we have kind of seen him... Uh, ascend up the order of pressure rate, total pressures, he's getting sacks again. Like, Ebukam, he tied his career high in sacks. He's getting pressures consistently. And if Bosa can't play, well, I would love to have Bosa out there, but we all would. He's an elite edge rusher, elite pass rusher, should have been an all-pro. I don't know how in the world Max Crosby, who's a really good player in his own right, I don't know how in the world Nick Bosa was snubbed from the all-pro voting. But that's besides the point. <laughs> I have my grievances elsewhere. Samson Ebukam has come alive as of late and has really been one of the pivotal parts on this defensive line getting pressure. And at least on Sunday against Dak Prescott, he had four pressures. That was the second highest, second highest on the team on Sunday. A great job by Ebukam, and I love what I'm seeing from him. He'll be back next year. It's good stuff to see from a guy you're going to have next year as well. But there's two other guys I want to talk about. And one of them, he's the guy who had the highest pressures, the most amount of pressures on Sunday, and that's Charles Amenehue. Now, when Charles Amenehue was acquired from the Texans, he was a guy who said he's got size, he was kind of being misused by Houston, he was someone who I said he'll be a good role player, he's not going to be a starter, but he has potential, he can play inside, he can play outside, he can make your defensive line more versatile. Uh, when Kinlaw got hurt, I said, this is a guy who's going to fill in somewhere. He may not be a starter, like we know this, but he will give you meaningful snaps. And he didn't have many snaps on Sunday. He played one half against Dallas's offensive line, who, again, was supposed to be this all-pro offensive line. He made them look silly. Charles Amenehu, who, who played one half, he played the second half of this game, he had six total pressures. Six total pressures. To give you kind of a ballpark, he had more pressures than Street, Givens, and Bosa combined. <laughs> now, I think we you know Bosa plays longer, he gets more pressures, but 
I'm just pointing out to you that in one half of the game, Charles Amenehu, he was bringing it. Bringing it against Dallas. His first snap he played was a pressure. It was instantly, instant impact for Charles Amenehu. Great stuff, a great find. I don't know if it was Adam Peters or John Lynch. Whoever orchestrated that trade with Houston, they they got a steal. And whatever Demeco Ryans or Chris Kosarek have done to help him improve his stance or his speed or utilize him in the right way Houston wasn't, a phenomenal job with what they've done. Uh, but I do want to move on to the number one person I want to discuss. And I talked about him before, and I've given him plenty of credit before, but I want to continue that trend because he's someone who has been lambasted. Ever since this organization decided to trade DeForest Buckner, we have always compared Eric Armstead to DeForest Buckner, and understandably so. Guys came in one year apart, went to the same college together, uh, and one guy performed to his first-round pick status immediately. That was Buckner. And it took Armstead a while to get there. And for many of us, I I will include myself somewhat because there's a lot of questions as to, initially, what are we doing? Why, why are we trading Buckner? And, and 2020 happens, and Armstead kind of has his okay year, but when you're one year removed from the trade, it makes everyone in their mind think of, well, what have you done for me lately? And Armstead had a career year in 2019, was pivotal in bringing us to a championship in the NFC and taking us defensively to the Super Bowl. 2020 comes, you know, he gets hated. Where has Armstead been? We should have kept Buckner. All this stuff. And a lot of that stuff, to a certain degree, was was fine. It was understandable to ask those questions to say, hey, why did we trade this guy who has been consistently good ever since he got here? Who has eaten up two defenders every single snap, who has aided this defense when we were even awful. He was a standout. He's a Pro Bowl player. Like, why are we trading that guy? Well, Eric Armstead's not an all-pro player. He's not a Pro Bowl player. But the last three games, which have been must-win games for San Francisco. These are games where, again, it's Houston, it's the Rams, and it's against the Cowboys. Eric Armstead has proven to be worth every single penny. And you may sit back and go, well, he's making 80-something million dollars. Sterling, are you serious? And yes, I am. Eric Armstead on Sunday had three pressures, but that's not where the buck stops. The last three games, again, against Houston, the Rams, and against the Cowboys, Eric Armstead has four sacks, 13 pressures, and 19 tackles. That's a little, an average over one sack a game. That's about four pressures a game. Four pressures. That's insane. And that's about five tackles. Six tackles, actually. Over six tackles a game. I cannot do math. <laughs> There's a reason why I went to school for journalism. Um, But I just want to give kudos to him. Like, a guy who is quiet, his name doesn't pop off the screen, or you know, it's not going to be on ESPN or, or NFL Live or NFL Network. He just quietly puts together a good season. A guy who many of us, including myself at times, said, why are we paying this guy so much money? Now, there are, you know, there's context to that deal. It's, say, San Francisco money on the front end and all this stuff. But, like, he has been worth every single penny with Kinlaw going down, 
with D Ford going down, a lot of question marks. Who's going to generate pressure? And while there's been help, Arden Key, Ebukam, Amenahue have stepped up their game. DJ Jones has stepped up his game in the absence of Kinlon Ford. Eric Armstead has also stepped up his game, or at least, in my opinion, his game is shining brighter. He's always been a good player. Since 2019, he's always been a good player. But recently, he has ascended to being a great player, who will never get that credit. Now, you gotta be consistent, but I do think 2021 has been a really good year for Eric Armstead. And if you don't like the guy, if you think he's been... You know, he's a stick in the old mud. He's not worth the money. I would ask you to re-examine how you think of Eric Armstead because he's been really good. And this Niners defense has also been really good the last two weeks. The last two weeks have had 10 sacks and 27 quarterback hits along with 11 tackle for losses. The Dallas Cowboys offensive line, they had no chance. No chance on Sunday. Dak didn't have a shot. They were in that backfield what seemed like almost every single play. Almost 50% of his snaps, San Francisco was in that backfield. It just shows you, and credit goes to Demeco Ryans and Chris Cosera, great, phenomenal job. But I want to transition to the running game here because I told you before the game, Ezekiel Elliott does not scare me. And... He crapped the bet on Sunday, 12 carries, 31 yards, 2.6 yards per attempt. He had 1,000 yards, he had 1,002 yards. Let's relax. Like it, it, He's one bad run away from not having 1,000 yards. He's not that good. They just fed him the ball all the time. Like They had to. But Tony Pollard, who was someone, and this is a big reason, and this isn't the only reason why, but this is a big reason why that I think Dallas lost this game. Tony Pollard, I talked about how I was much more worried about what he can do offensively. He had an injury, it's understandable, and I overlooked that. But I want you to understand that he was still getting touches on special teams. And this goes into the incompetence of Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore. Now, what could Pollard do offensively, health-wise? I don't know. But Pollard this year, I talked about, you know, 6.5 yards per catch, six you know six yards on the ground almost he was a really good player 8.7 yards per reception this year like he, he was leading this team in yards per reception and he was he was a ghost again what could he do health wise not sure but if you can return kicks you should be able to catch the ball in the backfield and run straight <laughs> make one cut now if you can't, then any good offensive coordinator would design plays to limit your injury, right? To, to, to limit, you know, how much your ankle can, you know, be further injured. Give you a route that doesn't need a cut. Give you a go route. Give you, you know, an out route. Give you a flat route. Give you a slant route. You know, give you a route that doesn't need to cut, you know, super hard on your ankle. But Pollard touched the ball six times. Six times. He averaged four yards a touch. Again, credit goes to the McRyans and, and Warner and Al Shire and Greenlaw and the defensive line. And, and the coverage on Sunday was great. Now, Amari Cooper had a fairly good game. And that was another, another big question coming into Sunday was, you know, how how is this team going to stop Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, right? They are two of the better receiving duos in the league. Lamb, I would argue, is having a better year than Amari Cooper, and I think he's a better receiver currently than Cooper, 
Because, again, like I mentioned earlier and even last week, this was a high-powered explosive offense. Fourth in receptions with 63 over 20-plus yards. How are you going to limit this team? How are you going to stop a team that is this explosive like the Dallas Cowboys? And, I mean, I don't know what to say. They didn't do anything. Anything. CeeDee Lamb came into Sunday averaging nearly 14 yards perception. Now, you can argue, well, he had 21 yards per reception on Sunday, but he caught one pass. <laughs> like, CeeDee Lamb was a non-factor, and I want to kind of, just kind of generically, and maybe explain this the easiest way possible. Outside of Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott, for the most of the game, Zeke Elliott, Tony Pollard, and CeeDee Lamb were non-factors. The stars of Dallas were non-factors. The majority of this game, outside of what, one, maybe two drives, but one of those drives was because Jimmy's pick? Like, interesting, we, we will talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, but... What Demeco Ryan's did, and kudos goes to again Jimmy Ward and, and Tart. No receptions allowed, no no yards allowed. Emmanuel Mosley bounced back, was phenomenal in coverage many times on Sunday. It just what they did on Sunday was insane, and I do want to point out Ambry Thomas. I came into this game worried. You know, I saw what he did against Cincinnati and Atlanta, and it's hard to forget those things. When you've seen them and you go, there, there, that player is, is that player still in there somewhere? Like, is this the game where, okay, you know, we played the Texans, it was a better game. He was in, you know, better position against Atlanta, but still got burned a few times. It's been baby steps. And against the Rams, he was really good. But you just wonder against a team like Dallas, a team like, you know, an explosive offense to keep using that word, a high powered offense. How is Thomas going to hold up? A team that is not afraid to take deep shots? A team that will not hesitate to attack a young corner? And by all means, Avery Thomas just, oh my god. What he has become, and, and, and again, he's a rookie. There's mistakes that will be made. Progressions need to be had. But what he's shown the last you know, two or three weeks, starting in Houston up until now has has been so promising so promising on Sunday he not only had and, and again for what it's worth PFF it's a it just gives you a little more insight but for what it's worth PFF Avery Thomas not only had the Niners highest PFF grade but he also had his personal highest PFF grade of the season against the Dallas Cowboys he had out of a total of 55 coverage snaps he only allowed two catches for 24 yards. And he had one pass deflection. Ambry Thomas was... I'm not going to put the title of shutdown corner on the guy because that's super unfair to do. But what he is showing and the progression he is showing is, again, very promising. Like, kudos to this young man who battled colitis in 2020, opted out because of COVID, was just... He, to be blunt, he sucked. He sucked to start the year. He was being uh, on the inactive list for Drake Kirkpatrick. And now he's he's starting over 
Josh Norman for, again, what it's worth. But he's in the position he's played so good to go into next year as a starter. Like, it's flipped that quick where he's playing better against top-tier receivers. Amory Thomas, again, as of right now, if he continues to do this, he's going into next year as cornerback number two. It's just phenomenal stuff to see from a young player like him. And, again, highest PFF grade, only two catches allowed. There's a lot of stuff to see. And, and I do want to kind of wrap up talking about Dallas's offense and how great Demeco Ryans did and, you know, what our players did on Sunday. But kind of giving you a, a, a full perspective of the game. So in the first half, the Cowboys had five punts. So the Niners defense forced them to punt five times. We had one interception. We allowed one touchdown. Just one. Just one touchdown. And they had only 114 yards. 114 yards. Dallas, again, the number one scoring offense in football, only had 17 points. They put up 50 against Philadelphia. Now, again, Philadelphia stinks. We know this. Just watch the Bucks game. <laughs> Exposed. <laughs> but you got to go out there and play. So this is still NFL caliber talent. This is the most explosive offense in football. The number one scoring offense only had 17 points on Sunday. Let's look at their averages compared to Sunday. Again, this, this will give you a more clear picture as to how great of a job the Mecca Ryans did. How great of a job, how good his game plan was on Sunday. The Cowboys' season averages for points. They averaged 31.2 a game. They averaged 407 yards per game. On Sunday, 17 points. They averaged two more touchdowns a game. Two more touchdowns. We, The game plan worked so well that they didn't even sniff 20. The over-under for this game was 54. 54. And a lot of that heavily favored Dallas. They scored 17 points. Their yards on Sunday was 100 less yards than what they averaged. Not, not their highest total. What they averaged. They had 307 yards on Sunday. Dak had 254 yards in San Francisco. Kept up their streak of not allowing a 100-yard rusher. The last time they allowed a 100-yard rusher was against Seattle in Seattle. Just phenomenal stuff. They literally, DeMarco Ryans went into Dallas, said, here's the game plan, and they punched Dak Prescott, this offensive line, like, Jawan Jennings, and I know this isn't offensively, but it, it really does encapsulate what happened on Sunday. Jawan Jennings took a cheap shot at Trevon Diggs, <laughs> knocked him out, and, and Diggs, instead of asking for a penalty and getting up and trying to fight back against Jennings, which I would have understood, it was uncalled for on Jennings' behalf, Hey, don't do that stuff. But there was no fight back in them. We demoralized them. I talked about in the podcast how you have to make a statement early. Run the ball. Make a statement early. Punch them in the mouth. Put them on their heels. Dallas did not once fight back. 
The only, and you can say, well, it was so close at the end. The only reason why it was so close was because we were giving them the opportunity. We were giving them the chance to score, giving them in their offense the ball in our own territory. Now, you can't do that stuff. That's what we were doing. That's what we were doing. And you just can't do that stuff. Not one bit. And every, every single time that they thought they had a chance before halftime, nope, shut them down. Punt, punt. It's five punts in the first half. Five punts in the first half. Again, I want you to understand what and how good of a job Demeco Ryan's did on Sunday and the credit he deserves like we're we're already hearing his name possibly in head coaching opportunities Robert Sala wasn't doing that stuff until year four like that's how insane Ryan's has been it's been one year and he's already in head coaching conversations no interview so far but we're already in head coaching conversations with him about about leaving maybe I don't think he will but that just shows you the outing he's had in one year. The the performance he's put together in one year has been awesome. But let's get to the offense, because this is where the meat and potatoes of the podcast will be. It's been 40 minutes. I'll try to run through this pretty quickly. But this is where the meat and potatoes has been, uh, really for about a couple of weeks here. But I talked about how last week, where Dallas' defense is, isn't good, right? They were 21st in yards allowed in DVOA, 28th in explosive plays allowed, close to San Francisco, but they were really good in takeaways, which is the only reason why their defense was ranked so high. It was their ability to create takeaways. And I can argue on Sunday that they didn't really create any takeaways. We just gave them the ball. (laughs) Which, again, comes back to us biting ourselves in the foot. Again, we'll talk about that stuff later. But I told you how this game was going to be won in the trenches. Now, defensively, again, 31 pressures. We won defensively in the trenches, but this game, to run the football, to have manageable third down for Jimmy, to buy him time, you were going to have to also win this game offensively in the trenches. And, and specifically one person. How are you going to neutralize Micah Parsons? And Micah Parsons came into this game having a phenomenal year, going to be DPO, had 10 plus sacks, he had like 31 pressures all year long, just, just great stuff. For what he's done. He had zero sacks on Sunday. And it wasn't just Michael Parsons, again, who had zero sacks on Sunday. Made some good plays. You know, he came into Sunday saying, you know, if you want to play bully ball, I was the you know, I was the biggest bully like where I'm from, you know, we got bullies where I'm from. Bro <laughs> You got bullied like if Micah Parsons is someone to talk about bullies. He's a guy who gets thrown in the trash can by the bully. Because that's what he looked like on Sunday. Micah Parsons was borderline, again, a non-factor. And I don't want to use that word too much, but I'm going to keep using it here because San Francisco's defense and and even offensive line made their star players non-factors. And we'll talk about one a little bit more. But we've made their... Their star, top-tier guys, borderline, they meant nothing on Sunday. Their entire defense had no sacks. The Niners' offensive line allowed nine pressures, not a great number. Lincoln Tomlinson allowed four, not great stuff. But I will rather have nine pressures and no sacks than three pressures and three sacks. Like, that may sound weird, but, you know, like, 
when your quarterback's not getting hit and you're and you're not losing yardage for sacks, it's good things. It's good stuff when it happens that way. And a great job by by Trent Williams and Daniel Brunscale and Compton and Tomlinson and Alex Mack, who has been phenomenal this year. Alex Mack has a better pass blocking rating than he had in 2016 with the Falcons. He's 35 years old. 35. Alex Mack is having somewhat of a career year in certain aspects. Sunday was also the first time the Niners offensive line did not allow a sack in a postseason game since January 5th of 2003 against the New York Giants. I feel like every single week there's history being made. Some in small ways, some in big ways, but again, another historic moment happening for this Niners team this year. And because the Niners offensive line was so good on Sunday, because they neutralized not only Micah Parsons, but Gallimore and Gregory. And I want to make a point here, actually, because there were two things Randy Gregory did on Sunday that I really didn't like. And the game got chippy towards the end of the game. This happened early. Um, Randy Gregory literally punched, I believe it was Elijah Mitchell, in the back of the head. No penalty, no flag, no suspension, no fine. Now, those things take time in regards to, you know, fines and suspensions. But Gregory punched a player on the ground, played dead in the back of the helmet. And there was nothing called. Nothing. And we'll get into the rest later because we know how crazy the ending of that game was. But, dude... And to not get vulgar here, but I'm pretty sure he punched Jimmy Grompolo in the peener. Like, he punched that guy right in the dick. And, like, I don't think it was on purpose, but there was a full fist going towards Grompolo's, you know what, you know, breadbasket. And when I saw it, I go, oh my god, that hurt. Oh, like, Jimmy, no. (laughs) Like... You know, in Austin Powers, when they throw the mojo up in there, he's like, my mojo! And you can see it slowly falling down, and it cracks on the ground. He's, like, licking it up and everything. Disgusting, I guess, if you don't know what I'm talking about, but (laughs) that's what I was like, Jimmy, your mojo! (laughs) Uh, But, like, I was like, oh my god, ow! Like, I've been hitting the nether regions plenty of times. It hurts. Like, it doesn't feel good when a 270-pound lineman's running full speed at you and then got a fist running at your nuts. Like, <laughs> like he punched two guys. And I made a joke on Twitter, and I said, oh, well, I guess you can say he was headhunting. But I'm cha moving on. Okay, let's talk about this cowboy run defense. Because it stinks. We knew it stunk coming in. We knew it was awful coming in. And we knew that this Niners team is successful running the ball. We knew that they had a chance to just run all over this team. That's the recipe for success. And the strengths of San Francisco lined up so well against Dallas's weaknesses. It's what I said coming into the game. They knew to do run, 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 run the ball. That's exactly what they did. And, well, it worked. Dallas' secondary can't tackle. They have one of the worst run defenses in football. The third worst in 20-plus run yard gain allowed. Just awful stuff from those guys. And the Cowboys, this year, uh, they allowed Elijah Mitchell to run for 96 yards. Debo Samuel had 72 yards of his own. Like, (laughs) Jimmy even had one yard. (laughs) For a total of 169 yards 
given up by Dallas's defense. That means the Cowboys have allowed now 12 of their last 13 opponents to rush for 100 yards. They want to blame the refs. They want to say, oh, the last drive of the game, you know, the ref didn't let the ball up. And, uh. No, play better. And not that hard. Like, it actually is hard. But, like, maybe if you just, you know, run defended better and could actually capitalize off turnovers and not punt five times in the first half, maybe you wouldn't have these problems. And I have an uncle who's a Dallas Cowboy fan, you know, and I'm, I've been a Niner fan for a really long time. When I was born, my uncle brought a Dallas Cowboys, you know, sh- you know, shirt or jersey for me to wear, and I didn't know what I was doing. And my dad came home and said, "You better take that off my kid right now." <laughs> and uh, on Sunday, all I could think about is like, "Wow, my uncle's name's Dennis." He was like, "I feel so bad for you," <laughs> because like from the beginning of this game, San Francisco went down the field, first drive. Like, the game just started. Had just started easy. Easy. From a kickoff. From a kickoff, it was a joke. They went seven plays, 75 yards, and four minutes, and put up seven points in the snap of a finger. Because of the running game. Like, if you go and look at that drive, and I have it right here. Debo, nine-yard run. One-yard run by Debo. Mitchell, 13 yards. Mitchell, four yards. It was it was literally that easy. And it doesn't stop there because they get a three and out. Then the Niners get the ball back. Then it was the Niners get bailed out. You know, Jennings gets you know, Jennings has a good catch on the sideline, but then it's Mitchell run for four yards, for nine yards, for five yards. You know, and, and you know, it's the running game was so good on Sunday. And now we can talk about, you know, Niners didn't capitalize, and that's that's really true. And we're going to get into that stuff. But the Niners offensive, the offense on Sunday, 38 rushes, 4.4 yards per carry, two touchdowns, and 169 yards. Dallas had no chance. They came into Sunday with no fight. No fight. You know, we came into Sunday riding momentum. And I was worried that, you know, emotional winning against the Rams, how is this going to hold up? Dallas didn't do anything. Anything. And now the Niners... They are now 8-2, and two, and Elijah Mitchell carries the ball 15 times. Out of Mitchell's 96 rushing yards, which is the most in 49er history for a rookie, another historic moment, 85 of those came after contact. Folks, we have our running back number one. He's a six-round pick. His name's Elijah Mitchell. You already knew this, but to just kind of push that point home further, Elijah Mitchell is a ball hog, a, a bell cow. He is RB1. And that magic number I talked about, if they surpass 15 carries for Elijah Mitchell, they are they were 7-2 coming in. He had 27 carries on Sunday. 27. They are now 8-2. The magic number isn't 20 passes for Jamie. It's 15 carries for Elijah Mitchell. Now, the one area, one area I was a little, I, I, maybe there's two areas, but the one here, I was I was a little unsatisfied was George Kittle. Because the last two weeks I talked about how, and the Rams game made more sense in this case, that's because Trent Williams didn't play, you know, they, they, need, they needed Kittle to block more. But ever since 2019, 
when Levine Toilolo, who, if you don't know that name, he was our blocking tight end in 2019. He was primarily used in run situations as, as a blocking tight end. We need an extra blocker, it's Toilolo. When he signed with the Giants in 2020 in that offseason, while maybe the number of targets and receptions hasn't decreased, the way they use Kittle has, well, not primarily changed, it has somewhat changed, where Shanahan uses him a lot more as a blocker, a lot more. And to a certain degree, nothing wrong with that, especially in the case of the Rams game. No Trent Williams, you got Tom Compton, who's played great, but still Tom Compton. You want to make sure you can block guys like Aaron Donald and Von Miller. But against Dallas, obviously the plan worked. I'm not saying, well, we won, so like that's cool. But like the Rams and Dallas have really bad coverage linebackers. And Shanahan is far smarter than I am. I'm not debating that whatsoever. I do not stand on my high horse in my soapbox saying, give George Kittle the ball. My point more so is that Dallas allows a 61 success rate on 8.5 yards per reception to inline tight ends. There was room for George Kittle to get involved in this game. He did nothing. He had three targets, one reception for 18 yards. And again, you're a blocker, you're protecting Jimmy. I'm a little worried that Shanahan, despite the win, I don't want to see Kittle blocking on you know, important downs, third down, which for the most part he's not, but maybe it's just me, but there is just a small part in my head. It's in the back of my mind where I'm seeing Jimmy Garoppolo throw to Mayo Sanders in the Super Bowl, and I know we don't want to relive that, and I don't want to bring it up. And it's really not important to this portion of the season, but more so because George Kittle was in the backfield blocking for that play. And, well, I understand you want to get an extra blocker in there, give him time to hit Sanders, and we all know the story there, but I do not want one of the best pass-catching tight ends, one of the best receivers, hands, physical, can fight for yak. I don't want him in the backfield on important downs. I need him out there trying to get me important yards in extremely, you know clutch moments in a game and at times it just seems like Kittle is underutilized we've known this for a while but when you have three targets and one reception for 18 yards and it's just it's just not you know the stats may say it's not good and again I understand there's scheme and there's reasons as to why things happen but maybe it's just me but I want to see George Kittle get the ball more in the last two weeks for really good times to do so but I don't want to complain too much because we won just keep that in the back of your mind as we go forward against Green Bay and hopefully forward as well, maybe against Tampa Bay or the Rams who won tonight. And by the way, Cliff Kingsbury, nice coaching, my friend. Uh, you might be looking for another job in the offseason, but that's besides the point. Um, but thank God we have Debo Samuel. <laughs> uh, this team would be nowhere without him. This team would be, you know, out of the playoffs. Just Debo was the most important player on the offense. I used to think it was Kittle for a long time. He was kind of the big name, but Debo has just... Wow. Wow. And it's awesome to see the second-round pick come alive. Earlier in the year, it didn't seem like Shanahan 
and McDaniels knew what they wanted to do with Debo. We were having injury problems in the backfield, which kind of led to Debo being a running back. Even Debo said earlier in the year, like, I don't want to talk about being a running back. And he wasn't against it, but I can tell there was just like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. But knowing he has the running back, you know, the the background of a running back having played um, halfback in high school and college, it's kind of, he is the ultimate Swiss Army knife. On Sunday, Debo, to, to, to sum up Debo Samuel's rushing attack in one play, after the K-1 interception, Debo looked at Shanahan and said, give me the ball, I'm going to score. Jimmy heard it and laughed. Shanahan said, I don't know what he said, but I'm pretty sure it was he wanted the football. He got in the football, and he busts like he busts a 26-yard run for a touchdown. Like, it's not that just Debo's really good, because he is. And he is, again, one of the best offensive weapons in the league, but he's confident in doing so. There's, in, there's a big difference, a big difference in just being a good player. But... When a good player has confidence, they have momentum, they're in their group. It's like in basketball, right? When when a player is hot shooting, you keep feeding them the ball. You know, sometimes guys have a heat check three and they bounce off the rim and they go, okay, I wasn't that hot. With Debo, he has not had a heat check three miss in a long time. A long time. You can argue Houston was a miss, but he had big plays in that game, had that big touchdown from Trey Lance. He really has not has not had a, a heat check miss in a really long time. And Debo has, again, he's been the most important offensive player for this team. And his 72 rushing yards on Sunday were the most by a receiver in a playoff game in NFL history. At this point, do we just go ahead and call him a wide back like he, like he wants us to call him? Because is he a receiver? Yeah. But, I mean, when you're touching the ball 10 times in the backfield and only have three catches... I mean, come on. But even when he catches the ball, he's averaging almost 13 yards a catch. Like, enough cannot be said. And he just ate Trevon Diggs alive. Him and Brandon Ayuk. Like, Brandon Ayuk had Diggs going left and right and looking for his arse. He was he was, he was like a dog trying to find his tail. Like, Diggs, who has 11 interceptions. Oh, big numbers. He cannot guard for anything. And he was someone who I said was, look, you know, he's a guy who wants the ball is going to look for the ball if Jimmy throws a duck, which he did. Diggs is a guy who will make sure he's around that ball. And, again, Diggs was awful in coverage. He allowed six-plus receptions. He he was just in, he was in the spin cycle. Spin move! Like, like spin cycle all day long. Ayuk uh, had a great game on Sunday. He had the highest PFF grade of 85.7 of the entire team and Ayuk had five receptions 66 yards 13.2 yards per average and his biggest catch 37 yards was the longest of the day for San Francisco like the Niners are playing football good football when it matters most they are playing great from the trenches up and from the trenches out like that just but <laughs> The issue is, is like that's what brings us to arguably the most, and it always has been the most contentious part of the team. Jimmy Garoppolo, no, freaking special teams. Like, I don't know 
what Josh Norman has against his team, but it seems like Josh Norman hates the Niners. I don't know if it's because he got benched or he hates Shanahan, but Tesler, who is who is the uh, who is the Cowboys special teams uh, coach, he he likes he he just likes to do trickery. We've seen him for years. He he is not afraid to take a chance. And what does he do? Big fourth down. The ball hits the top of the roof. I believe it was the same situation. If not, it was later in the game. But what does he do? Norman, for whatever reason, breaks off the gunner and just like runs towards the middle of the field. Doesn't the like the gunner wasn't even behind him? And the punter goes, okay, and his hikes and throws it to him. And it's like, bro, like, what? Hey, man, like, you had one job, and you did not do that job. In fact, you haven't done your job in, like, a month and a half. And I get you got Norman out there. You got to get him reps. You know, Dante Johnson's now kind of, like, cornerback number three. I guess four if you want to count Kwan being the nickel. But, I mean, I, I at this point, I'd rather have Lenore out there. At least Lenore make a rookie mistake, and I get maybe say, well, a veteran out there should know better, but I mean, Josh Norman at this point is kind of an idiot, right? And, and I hate to use that word, it's kind of harsh, but I mean, bro, like, if you can't start a corner, at least be productive elsewhere. But the only place you're productive is keeping a bench seat warm <laughs> for 90% of the game. Like, bro, like, if you're mad you're getting benched and stuff, like, h- how do you think you're going to play again? If you can't be a special teamer, which by all means is not an easy job. But a special team role is usually guys who are fringe roster spots. If you can't do that right, like there's no chance Josh Norman's in the league next year, barring like major injuries, which could happen. But like he doesn't belong in the league anymore. Like he may have a bright spot, you know, he is the the, the punch out fumble, but bro, you can't even guard a gunner. Like yeah, uh, like Richard Hightower, like you're a great guy, but like boy, like if. If Basaccia gets fired from Las Vegas, bring that guy over. <laughs> like, tell him, hey, man, like, you can be an assistant head coach slash special teams guy. Like, you know what you're doing, at least, in Las Vegas. Because I don't know what Hightower is doing here, and I don't know what Norman's doing. H- how many times does this team, special teams, have to give up big plays? Like, thankfully, Green Bay's, you know, Thankfully, their special team roster and, and their unit sucks more than ours does. But, like, Jesus, man. Get me doing this stuff. But let's for real get back to the most contentious part. The part that I debate the most. The part that we talk about the most. I know. Hour and two minutes in the podcast. But you gotta talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. This is a game worth discussing for a long time. And I want to talk about Jimmy and then what happened in that last kind of few final drives because they all kind of coincide here so jimmy to give him his credit if you didn't know this jimmy garoppolo now has more playoff wins than the cowboys franchise since 2000 to give you maybe some more context jimmy's been in the playoffs twice (laughs) twice jimmy's only had to win four playoff games four Four. Well, actually, uh, uh, three. Well, I had to win three. Again, I can't do math. <laughs> the, 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 the Vikings game? 
the the Packer game in 2019, and now this. Like, that uh, that was I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I, I Jimmy is now uh, again. Yeah, Jimmy has more playoff wins than the Cowboys do in 20, 22 years, twenty one years. This is amazing. And actually, to give you even a more crazy stat, Jimmy Garoppolo is the only 49ers quarterback ever, more than Montana, more than Steve Young, more than Smith and Kaepernick. He's the only quarterback ever to beat Dallas on the road in the playoffs. When I read that, my jaw went, huh? Like, you're trying to tell me this guy. And I love Jimmy. I love the guy. I, I am happy we're making this last run of his something special. But a guy who goes 16 for 25, 172 yards, 6.9 yards per per attempt, no touchdowns, one pick, and a QBR 60 and a rating of 67. That guy, who again, I love. He's my quarterback one, has been all years, played great at certain times, been bad at certain times, but he's had a pretty good year altogether. That guy, who is not Steve Young, who is not Montana, who is not Kaepernick at his prime, he's the first ever quarterback to beat the Cowboys in the playoffs on the road. Like, Jerry World, man, now it's Jimmy's world. Like, come on. But we have to talk about the the second half. The first half, Jimmy was really good. Like, Jimmy was really good in that first half, and it is one of the main reasons as to why this team was leading at halftime. There's a reason why. Jimmy was 11 for 14. Great numbers. Great numbers. 133 yards. Phenomenal numbers. If you double those in the second half and you're 22 for 28, even if you're 22 for 34, that's still really good. And he has 266 yards. That's fine. That's Jimmy numbers. Jimmy was really good Jimmy. Efficient Jimmy in that first half. Averaging 12 yards per attempt, Jimmy looked really good. And I don't know what it is for the life of me. Maybe it was the thumb. Maybe it was the shoulder injury, which occurred in, in, in late in that first half. Maybe it was that stuff. But I don't know why in the world this team cannot put together, or at least Jimmy can't, although it has been a team thing. Jimmy, in this game in particular, they can, he cannot put together two complete halves. The second half alone, he was 5 of 11, 39 yards and a pick. And it wasn't just like a, oh, I was taking a a deep shot and I threw a pick. No, no. It was just, there was eight of us watching the game in the 95-7 The Game studios. And we all said, Sherfield's open, in the flat, hit him on the sideline, boom, perfect. Oh, Jimmy, oh my God, how do you miss that easy of a throw? You're running to your right. That is your throwing side. Again, maybe it was a shoulder, maybe it was a thumb, but if you can't hit the open man, if you do not believe in your shoulder and your thumb, either throw it on the ground or just throw it away. Why? It was a dumb interception. He gave Dallas the ball on the Niners' side of the field. They score a touchdown and they get right back into the game. And it makes the entirety, entirety of this game much more interesting. Much more interesting. Then what is it? Was is it fourteen twenty three? Then it becomes seventeen twenty three, and we're sitting there like, okay, what's gonna happen? <laughs> like, what's going on? 
are, are we going to blow this? And Jimmy later, and like it's kind of been a forgotten pass, but thank God Jimmy Stummer's shoulder didn't work for a pass because he bounced the freaking ball to George Kittle. That should have been a fumble had it not been a you know, skid on the ground. Like, thank God, like, I, I never once cheered for an injury, but at that point I was like, Jimmy, thank God for your freaking bum A-double-S shoulder and thumb. <laughs> like, your injury saved us the game. <laughs> like, man, like, oh, and it's really annoying too because Jimmy's always been a quarterback that gives you glimpses of like, wow, that's really good. That is a winning quarterback. And then you see glimpses where you're like, oh my God, you suck. <laughs> How are you on the field? How are you a quarterback? And it's like, if, if you could just put the two together, you would be a good quarterback. And Jimmy is a good quarterback. And again, I do not know how much of an impact the thumb and the shoulder had. I don't know. Maybe it was big. Maybe it wasn't. But if you say, I can go out there and play, you better make the freaking easy throw. And he wasn't doing that stuff. Now, earlier in the game, he had a great throw to Jennings. He evaded pressure, went up in the pocket, and moved to his right, hit Jennings on the on the side of the, the sideline. It was a great throw. Was like, I was like, oh my god, Jimmy, that was awesome. That was great stuff. Then he misses Ayuk wide open. Now there's a debate of, did Ayuk run the right route? Is it supposed to be a flat or a post? What's going on? No one knows, but either way, if it's miscommunication, just figure it out and hit the man. You cannot miss easy throws on third down. You cannot miss easy throws ever, but especially on third down in second half of a game that seems like, and they couldn't say, well, we didn't feel this way, but it felt like for a second it was slipping away for the fan base. Now, kudos to those guys for saying we had it under control, we believed in ourselves. Great for you. That makes you more mentally tough than I am <laughs> because yikes. But you got to hit the easy stuff. Like every single game in these must-win situation has been, hey, that's why you're the quarterback still, but also that's why we drafted Trey Lance. Like there have been so many moments like that, and that can't happen against Green Bay. It just can't. Like Green Bay is a, is a pretty good defense. Not great, but they will cause you fits. They will get turnovers at times. And if you give Aaron Rodgers the ball more than you should have it, you're in for a long day. Long day. But back to this game. All this stuff culminates. We're on the final drive of San Francisco of the game. We're thinking, okay, get a couple first downs. We'll ice this game. Then Debo gets that first down. Or what was supposed to be a first down. And, and all the people in the studio with me are like, are they going to pull out the freaking note card? When they do for the Raiders and they like, put the fingers up. And it's like, bro, like, what is going on? They review it, takes forever. They say it wasn't the first down. So we're saying, okay, cool. Jimmy is great at quarterback sneaks, sneak the ball, you know, get get a first down, game's over. I don't know whose fault this was exactly. I don't know exactly who is to blame for this. My mind wants to put it on everybody involved, but primarily Jimmy Garoppolo. For one, why in the H-E double hockey sticks <laughs> did Kyle Shanahan have Trent Williams in motion, in motion, on a quarterback sneak to ice the game? This is not a complicated overthink it. Oh, why would I make him think I'm going left when I'm going right? Just call the freaking play and hike the ball. This is like, why are we, why are we playing chess when people are playing checkers? Ain't no reason for that. They know what's coming. 
It's not going to stop anything. It's ha- it, 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 it's the width of my pinky nail. What are you messing around with? Just call the freaking snap and hike the ball and reach the ball over and get the first down. This is not hard. Stop doing stupid stuff like this. It's just idiotic. Idiotic. And so Trent goes in motion. He's like set for like maybe like a, a one third of a second maybe. And then Jimmy hikes the ball, gets over. We're like, oh, it's ball game. And the refs are like, so you thought, huh? They throw a flag and Trent's like, what do you mean? And you're like, Jimmy, wait for your boy to get set. Maybe he thought he was set, whatever. But then you hear in, in the postgame, well, now I got excited. Jimmy got excited. He called hike. Hey, dude. Again, don't want to be vulgar, but put your freaking boner away. Hide your excitement and play football. How many times do I have to hear you say, oh, I got too excited. Sorry about that. But here's my smile. And I love Jimmy. He's a great guy. Phenomenal person. Great teammate, great locker room, good quarterback. He'll win you a lot of games. But, bro, I know you're excited to win, but, like, I'd rather you calm the pocket, you know, make sure Trent gets set, then snap and lean over. That way, we aren't even having this discussion. Like, Jimmy, <laughs> sometimes you're your own sworn enemy. You are your, your, your own worst, worst enemy. <laughs> like, as Jimmy's making me lose my mind and making it hard for me to talk right now because it's like, bro, you it was so simple and easy. I could have called the freaking quarterback sneaking waiting for Trent to get set. It is not complicated. Like, Nick Mullins and Beathard can do this stuff. Like, Jimmy, you are the master of quarterback sneaks. It has become synonymous with your name. Jimmy Garoppolo, quarterback sneaks. It is one and the same thing. But you can't do it when it matters. You miss guys because you get too excited. Hey, man. Put it back in your pants, hike the ball, wait for your guy to get set, and get the first down. This isn't that complicated. It's not hard. And that's what frustrates me the most about this guy. Because, see, I love this guy. He's, so, he's really good. He's really good. People hate him. I like him. He should be quarterback one. He's going to be quarterback one for at least one more game, at least. Let's hope not, but uh, one more game, most likely. But it's like, man, like... <laughs> At what point do the dumb mistakes just stop and you start playing consistent football? Like, the, the, uh, the NFL is really hard. Quarterback's really hard. But, like, man, you got Trent Williams saying he signed here because of you and, and believes you can win a, win a Super Bowl. And, and I believe he can. But not if you're doing this stupid stuff. Like, you, you, you're going to give Rodgers the game with a minute and no timeouts left? We already seen how that works. It don't, it don't turn out pretty. You're going to give Mahomes the ball, Brady the ball with a minute and 14 left? No timeouts. Likely or not, you're losing that game. Sorry. Like, you can't do this stuff. And it kind of becomes a bigger point when you look at Jimmy Garoppolo's... Um, in, in his last three games and in the playoffs in the fourth quarter, he, he, he has sucked. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo in his last three games, two touchdowns, five interceptions in his last three games. Niners are 2-1. and one. This is the Tennessee game. The Rams game and the um, the Cowboy game. He had no touchdowns against the Cowboys. I'm okay with that. Jimmy doesn't have to get 15 touchdowns for me. All he has to do is be efficient on third down, keep the line moving, hand the ball off, get the, get the third and six and the third and four, give it to Mitchell and let Debo take it in. I don't need a billion touchdowns. I want to win. Okay? But it's the five picks. Now, there were two against the Rams... 
one really bad, the one against the Cowboys, one really bad, the one against the Titans, one one more is worse than the other one, but both not great. But it's like, man, like you're averaging a pick a game, a little over a pick a game your last three starts. And many of them have been egregious. And again, I like Jimmy. But you cannot give Green Bay the ball. You just can't do that stuff. And then you dive into Jimmy in the fourth quarter. And in Jimmy in Jimmy Garoppolo's four playoff starts, okay, four. He's 3-1, and one, okay, good record, right? A, a winning record. But in the fourth quarter, he's 9 for 20, a little under 50%, 93 yards in four games. Now, I understand you're ahead in the Green Bay game. We know how that game went. They weren't throwing the ball at all. But he has no touchdowns and no interceptions. And two picks, excuse me. And a rating of 19.4. That is the lowest fourth quarter playoff quarterback rating in the last 30 years. 30 years with the minimum of two starts. Jimmy, despite all the clutchness he had against the Rams and the amazing fourth quarter comebacks he had in 2019 and the overtime win against the Bengals, there have been really good moments. But in the playoffs, in the fourth quarter, yes, contacts matters, Vikings game, Packers game, we know what happened in 2019 in, in, in the Super Bowl, but like, in the fourth quarter, you'd not been great. And in games like this where the Packer game, it's either going to be a blowout, they're going to kill us, or it's going to be a nail-biting win. That's how these games have gone for us this year. Either been this all Packers or it's us till the the last second. And you got to clutch up. you got to clutch up. And in the fourth quarter in playoffs, it really hasn't been that way. Although context, again, doesn't matter. It's just, yeah, Jimmy, I love you, pal, but like, come on, man. But I think there is one way to fix this. And Jimmy Garoppolo was 10 of 12 when he threw with 2.5 seconds. So he had 2.5 seconds to throw. And he was 6 of 13 with an interception when he took longer than 2.5 seconds. In the regular season, when he had 2.5 seconds, he had a 75.4 comp percentage. And when he had longer to throw, which would be 2.5 seconds plus, a 64.7. What I'm saying is, Jimmy, make the first read. If not, throw it away. <laughs> That's not how it works. I'm being a little over-exaggerated here. But Jimmy is really good at many things. Finding the open man after the play is broken down isn't necessarily one of them. He's great in those quick throws, small target, small windows to Ayuk and Debo on slants. He's really good at that stuff. Finding the open pocket, he's really good at that stuff. And he's gotten better outside the numbers as, as of recent, for sure. But it really has become apparent that Jimmy, and people have said this to me before, but as of lately, Jimmy, make the first read throw if it's not there. For the love of God, look to throw it away. There's no shame in throwing it away. Live to fight another day. Do not force the ball. But again, that's just not Jimmy. And we will preview the Packer game later this week, and this will become a, a big talking point here. But I just want to kind of give you the mindset of, we won. We beat the Cowboys. It was awesome. I am excited to play Green Bay. 
No one thought we'd be here. I didn't think we'd be here. The way the season was ending, it was just a crazy ending to the season. And then we beat the Cowboys in Jerry World. And to stick with Jimmy for one more second, the Niners have a chance to give Jimmy the ultimate and the greatest last ride of all time. They beat the Rams on the road against the quarterback Shanahan was rumored to want to replace him with at SoFi. Fourth quarter comeback, overtime win. They beat Dallas in Dallas, one of our biggest rivals from the 80s and 90s. Now we're going to Green Bay to play Lambeau and Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and possibly freezing cold weather, which the Packers have been part of San Francisco's biggest playoff moments in the 2000s. Rodgers is one for three against us in the playoffs. And the NFC title game, which could be against Tom Brady. It could be Jimmy against Brady for the first time since they were in New England together. And there's a possibility, if we do make it that far, a long road ahead, week by week, day by day, play by play, there's a chance there is a Super Bowl rematch waiting for us against the Chiefs. Now, again, Rams, Cowboys, Packers, Brady, the Buccaneers, the Mahomes and the Chiefs. There is so much history in what could be, could be is a big word, anything can happen. We have to win it first for any of these to even be an option. But just think about that. That's what we could potentially be playing for. But it starts on Saturday against the Packers. It was a great win on Sunday against the Cowboys. It felt so good sticking it to Dallas for the first time in my lifetime. To to run around with my Niners jacket my dad has, the gold one, the throwback one, and and my, my residency hat, rooting for my team, for my quarterback, for my head coach, for Nick Bosa and Fred Warner and all the guys who got hurt. It felt really good to win a game like this when we are not supposed to be here. And it goes back to my motto of this offseason, or, or this, this postseason, excuse me. Why not us? We weren't supposed to beat the Rams. We weren't supposed to beat Dallas. So why can't we beat Green Bay? We will talk about that later in the week. Enjoy this win while you can. Talk all the crap and trash you can to Cowboy fans and to the Cowboys themselves. Be kind, don't be a jerk, but smartly kindly get your digs in push a knife in a little more have fun be safe be kind person though be good people but enjoy this win enjoy this win and until next time don't forget to leave a like share leave a review on this podcast follow us on social media instagram at 49ers.access twitter 49ers underscore access This has been the 49er Access Podcast, and until next time, my name is Julian Bennett, and stay faithful. If it wasn't for Texas, Fort Worth would never cross my mind. There'd be no Austin City limit sign. No.